last time. Uh, they were Methodist. I didn't think they were supposed to be aggressive, you know. I can say that. I married uh, a former Methodist. But anyway, um, they got a 6'10 guy. So, uh, Remick, be ready. We may put you on him. If I can just get Brian to suit up, we'll put both of you on him. We'll be, we'll be good. Guys, take your Bibles this morning, if you would, please. Turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. Somebody joked to me last week, they said, uh, let's make sure I'm on. There we go. They, they joked last week and said, Pastor, you said we're going to start a book, uh, study of 1 Thessalonians, and you tell us to turn to Acts. Um, as you know, last week was all about introduction. It was about background information. And I want you to do this in your own personal study time. Sometimes we'll just go right to the text, read the text. That's great. But you know what? It's good to know the context of who's this being written to, what's going on in this time period when this was written, and just sort of kind of getting an idea of of what this scene was like. And so we went through a lot of that last week and and trying to study out what we know, what's going on with Paul, why is he writing this letter, what what sparked this uh, initial, and we know it's, it's Holy Spirit inspired, but it's good for us to kind of get some teeth into it. And it will help you in your understanding as you go through the text. Uh, For example, you know, we we talked last time, this was Paul's second missionary journey when he went to Thessalonica. So it was the second time through this area. He had left Philippi, and he had made his way uh, eventually into Thessalonica. And he had uh, Timothy and Silvanus with him, a.k.a. Silas. So you've got Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And they come into uh, the, the area of, of Thessalonica. And Acts 17 is where you find the background information. No need to turn there. This is what we talked about last week. But as you see in that text, when they arrived, they did as their custom, and they went to the synagogue. And we talked about that. The reason they would go to a synagogue is because they already had the Old Testament Scriptures. And so they were able to go into these situations and have foundation already laid. These people already believed in a God. They believed in the God of the Old Testament. But they had not yet believed in the resurrected Jesus Christ. And so Paul, Timothy, and Silas are taking the good news that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He is the promised Messiah. And so they would go into these synagogues where people already had a working knowledge of the Scriptures and try and reason with them. And they would try to present persuasive evidence from the Scriptures. And we talked about this last week. 1 Thessalonians is a solid book when it comes to an apologetic approach. That doesn't mean, I'm sorry, we've been through this. It means they're ready to give a reason. They're able to give a defense, 1 Peter 3.15. Able to give a defense, able to give an answer to those who ask for the reason, for the hope. Why do Paul, Timothy, why do you believe this Jesus Christ? Why do you believe in Him? Well, let me explain. You remember in Isaiah 53, it talked about a suffering servant would come. Hundreds of years later, Jesus is that suffering servant. Psalm 22, 1,000 years, 700 years earlier, it prophesies that Jesus would hang upon a cross, be crucified. And yet when Christ hung upon a cross, He said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Starting to quote Psalm 22. You go through the rest of that psalm and you see in Psalm 22 they're casting lots for His garments and yet at the scene at the cross, it's recorded in the New Testament, there they were, 
casting lots for the garment. So see, Paul and Timothy and Silas are in these synagogues able to reason with them from Scripture. And I presented to you last week, guys, our faith, Christian faith, is is not an unreasonable faith. We don't have a blind faith. We have faith that's rooted in evidence. We talked about some of the archaeological finds of this area. By the way, Thessalonica is still around today. It's known as Thessalonica. It's uh, still in that area of Greece. And so they have found uh, things. In fact, we talked about how this uh, proconsul um, uh, it was uh, named uh, in chapter 18 of Acts, Gallio. And yet we have outside documentation of such a proconsul in that area during this time period. That's how we're able to date this book around AD 51. Because historically, outside of Scripture, that's a known fact. Once again, giving evidence to the Scripture that it's true, that it's reliable history. We also talked about, um, and by the way, can I get maybe one of the uh, deacons or somebody to uh, kick on some air? It is pretty warm in here. And this preaching's going to get hot. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, <laughs> if I could get somebody to kick on some of that air, that would be great. Um, so there's a lot of things that, that we know that happen. Picture with me again, Paul, Silas, Timothy, going in to this area. Three weeks they spent in the synagogue. Now, I think they were there a lot longer than three weeks. The Scriptures talk about that they did that in the synagogue for three weeks. And revival broke out. People started getting saved. People started believing. And so, then we find in that Acts 17 where Jason is housing, and it's probably where maybe the first church was meeting, and they were all in his home. And finally, the people, a a riot starts up. These guys are, those people that are turning the world upside down have come in here into our town and now they're starting their trouble here. Let's get them! And so this angry mob goes looking for Paul, Timothy, and Silas. Well, they weren't there at that time. They drag out Jason and some of the other believers downtown to the city rulers, which again, that was another apologetic evidence that proves that this book is historically accurate because up until 1962, people said, aha, see, see, Luke in Acts writing, he's wrong. There's no such thing as these city, these city rulers. That Greek word had never been found in any other piece of literature. So they were saying, see, it's not true, not true. But then in 1962, they unearthed an archaeological archway and they, they, un, uh, they unearthed other things that, that proved that this was a term referring to city rulers. See, our Bibles had it right all along. Some people are just a little slow about catching up to it. And so, again, the evidence is there. Well, you remember what happened? After they were released, they were given sort of a pledge to, hey, now, uh, my guess is, my best guess is that they told Jason and those other believers, look, we're going to let you go under one condition. This Paul, this Timothy, this Paul especially, because he's the ringleader, he is not allowed back in this town. Well, they immediately go back. They get them out of there. They, they leave by night. They go to a neighboring town out of the way. Remember we said it was LaGrange. It was kind of the out-of-the-way town. It wasn't Goldsboro, Kinston. It's sort of the out-of-the-way town. It was Berea. It was Berea. But we find that those Bereans were very noble-minded. Unlike the, a, a lot of those at Thessalonica that did not believe, these Bereans, when they came into the synagogue there, they listened to what Paul was saying. 
And they didn't just listen, they went back and searched the Scriptures daily to see if exactly what these guys were saying was true. And the more they looked at the Scripture, and they looked at the Christ that they were presenting, and they looked at the Scriptures, and they looked at the the Christ that they were presenting, they believed. Because it lines up. It's truth. Truth can't have holes poked in it, folks. So many believed. Well, the Thessalonians weren't content with causing trouble in their own city and trying to get Paul and those guys uh, taken captive. So you know what they did? They sent some of that angry mob on over to Berea. They heard, Paul and Timothy have gone down the road to Berea. Let's get some folks over there. So they get those folks over there and they stir up trouble over there. And so Paul and them again leave the town. This time they make their way to Athens. They settle in Athens. Uh, But Paul actually sends Timothy uh, back to Thessalonica. Check on that church. See how they're doing. And Silas, um, he makes his way back to Philippi to follow up there. Which, by the way, there's a good lesson for all of us when it comes to uh, personal responsibility to those that you're leading to Christ. Uh, Discipleship. Uh, Follow up, if you will. So... Paul eventually, he reunites, he talks to them, gets them sent back to these places to check on the church, to see how those new believers are doing. Paul makes his way uh, ultimately to Corinth because those at Athens were um, a little tougher shell. They didn't have the foundation, if you will, and that's where you see the Mars Hill encounter, the philosophers, the worshiping of the unknown God. Yeah, he does have some fruit there. Um, He eventually makes his way to Corinth where he writes... First Thessalonians. So now you're up to speed. Let's take a look at what Paul has to say with that background in mind. Look, if you would, in First Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our Lord and our sight of our God and Father. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and in Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Father, I pray this morning that you would empower me with the Holy Spirit. 
that self would be removed. And that you would speak to us, Lord, that you would encourage us this morning, that you would equip the believers that are here. Teach us from your truth, Lord, how it is that uh, we are to follow your example, the example of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Help us to be that example to others as well, Lord. And if there be anyone here this morning who does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord, as their Savior, Lord, I pray that today would be their day of salvation, that they would turn from idols and turn to the living and true God. And we'll give you the glory and the praise, for we ask it in that name above every name, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Examples. Examples. Boy, oh boy, you know, uh, sports figures a lot of times say, well, hey, look, I'm not a role model for anybody. You've heard people say that. But look, you're not an island to yourself. I don't care if you're a sports figure or or, or a stay-at-home mom or or, uh, whatever you may do or wherever you go. Who you are. You're an example. You influence people whether you like it or not. If I were to ask anyone who knows you a little bit about you, they could tell me based upon who you are, based upon your life. What would they say? What kind of example? You know, as a dad, I'm learning this more and more. (laughs) And you've heard some of my jokes because uh, I try to be a little transparent with uh, our family life and uh, and my kids, they pick up on everything. And some of you who teach them, uh, you know. Um, and you know all my bad habits because they exemplify them in your classroom. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, and, and look, I'm thankful. I, I'm thankful that uh, as God has entrusted my four beautiful children uh, to me, and all four are different, and yet you do see your sins magnified quite often in your children. You know, my wife and I, we, we have this discussion often. Wow, well, you know, uh, they didn't get that from me. Did they get that from you? Uh, and, of course, that's always her saying that. <laughs> you know, but they, they'll watch you and they'll do what you do and they'll, they'll mimic and, and they'll imitate these things. And sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's not good. You remember the story? I've shared this before. And we teach our kids, you know, if you're watching something on television, like Lord willing, tonight at some point, I will probably turn on the football game and the commercials come on. Well, we will probably turn the commercial or tell the kids, close your eyes. Daddy sometimes will have to close his eyes and Mama will have to tell me when I can look. But our kids have said this. If they see something that comes on the TV screen before we can get it cut off or turned, They're real good about saying sometimes, that lady needs to cover. (laughs) And you remember, I've told you this story before, but for the visitors, I love visitors because I get to tell my stories over again, and they're new to you. (laughs) But I remember being in Walmart, you know, all the family out for the Walmart trip, going up and down the aisle, we're right next to the lady in Walmart, and one of the kids decides to say out loud, Mommy, that lady needs to cover. Not good. But we, we set this example, and especially when it comes to our young children, they follow our example. And this chapter is about example. But it's about an example that you and I as believers in Christ need to take note of. There's some great truth in here. This is a great... I'm excited about this study. This, And I hope you are too, because there's... 
As far as when it comes to the church, the local church, seeing an example and learning and growing, this is a great opportunity for us, Community Baptist Church. So I hope you'll try and commit to be here. This will be a brief study in comparison to judges or whatever. This one's probably only going to take half a year. (laughs) But look, I hope you will try and commit to be here because this is some good stuff and we're going to work our way through this. Examples. You notice here, uh, Paul starts off speaking of him and, and Silas and Timothy greeting this church, which by the way, when Paul writes this, he's already heard back from Timothy. Timothy's already reported in and he's given him a good report. Man, those guys are really taking off over there in Thessalonica. Those guys are really on fire for God. They're growing and even in the midst of all that persecution. Remember the angry mob in the marketplace and they're all ticked off over there? Well, in the midst of that suffering and that persecution and affliction that that local church was facing, they were still thriving. And what an example they were. You notice it starts off here and, and typically as Paul does, he gives that greeting. And he greets and he makes reference here in this first passage. Notice, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is one of, this is what we believe is Paul's uh, first, uh, maybe second letter he ever written. Some would argue Galatians was the first. But here is uh, one of his first letters. Don't just pass over because he makes a reference here to the equality of the Father and the Son. You see that? This is a great indication of what Paul thought about who Jesus is. Again, an apologetic approach. Here's an example. Here's an example of where Paul equates the two. Jesus Himself, He said, Look, you've seen the Father. If you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. Jesus said that. He said, I and My Father are one. That's why they tried to stone Him the one time. That's why those Pharisees picked up rocks. The Jews hated the fact. That's ultimately why he went to the cross. They said he blasphemed because he makes himself equal to God. Of course, he's God in the flesh. And so yet, Paul, when he presents, when he starts his greeting, and this is typical of his writings, he equates the Father and the Son. You'll find all through chapter 1, and I would encourage you in your own study, go through. Look at the Father, look at the Son, and look at the Holy Spirit. There's great reference to the Trinity right here in this first, this first chapter. And so for us that uh, hold to the teachings of the Scripture, the Trinity is clearly seen. Um, notice verse 2. Paul starts with thankfulness and, and, and praying. And there's an example. There's a good example. When's the last time you were thankful? And you acknowledged that thankfulness to God. How about thankfulness in regards to one another? And look, I I will admit, it's easy for me as a preacher to browbeat more so than to encourage and to come alongside you and say, good job, I'm thankful for you. And and a lot of that has to do with my spiritual giftedness. Um, I'm more of the prophet type. I'm more of the John the Baptist, though don't feed me any bugs, please. Unless it's escargot, I'll be glad to eat those snails. But... So, I am thankful for you. And I don't want you to ever doubt that. As your pastor, I love this church. This is a great church. And Community Baptist, as we go through this study, I pray that this will be an encouragement to you that together we will build up one another so that we can be the example that we need to be in LaGrange, in Goldsboro, in Kinston, even Snow Hill. So, And if I left you out, I'm sorry. <laughs> Coming soon to a neighborhood near you. 
Notice what happens here. We give thanks to God always for you, all making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father. Now think about where Paul's writing. He's writing from Corinth. And he, he remembers the persecution there. He knows what this church is going through in the context of when he's writing. And he's saying, look, we're thankful to God for you. And we pray for you because we know what you're doing. We know you're, underline this, faith, love, hope. And that's a common theme Paul will use. Remember 1 Corinthians? He says the same thing. Faith. Hope, love, but of these three, the greatest is love. This is a common theme Paul uses. But here you realize he tags on some other descriptive words to these three words, does he not? Notice the text. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith. Let's start there. Faith. Your work. Wait a minute. That's almost... Sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? I thought, wait a minute, Pastor, I thought we were saved by faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for by faith, or by grace, I'm sorry, by grace, you are saved through faith. It's not of works, lest anybody should boast or, or brag about it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of works. So why does, why does he use this work of faith? You know, James 2.17 says, Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You see, we don't work to salvation, but from salvation there should be works. Amen? Christian. You say, well, I'm going to heaven, I'm saved, and there's no fruit in your life? Hmm. may want to examine the fruit tree. Be sure it's not a nut tree. Hey, look, work of faith. Your work. I like what J. Vernon McGee. J. Vernon McGee says it this way. He says, faith, your, your, your work of faith is acting upon the Word of God. Acting upon the Word of God. James says, don't be just a hearer of the Word. Don't be a hearer only. Be a doer. The people of Thessalonica were doers. And their reputation had already begun to spread. That they were doers. When they got saved, they didn't just sit and sour. When they got saved, they served. Their testimony, their example was of such that they were servants. They worked. They acted upon the Word of God. I mean, why not? Why why would we not act upon this message? Can you imagine being in that town in that day? The, the, the pagan religions that were there. Remember the uh, um, Via Ignatia Road, the big Roman road, famous Roman road from the east to the west came through there. And so, man, this was a lot of travelers came through Thessalonica. And now here come these three guys into town with this message about this God, Jesus Christ, that everybody's been talking about, by the way. Because the enemy identified them as, these are the same guys, they're turning the world upside down, now they've come here. 
So the reputation, even amongst the enemies of God, knew that there was something going on with this man Jesus. And that's part of the accusation. Remember Acts 17? They're in this town declaring another king other than Caesar. They're declaring this guy named Jesus is king. So these believers, these new believers uh, that are growing maybe a year and a half in the, in the Lord are still in the midst of that battle and still in the midst of that persecution doing works of faith. They are acting on the Word of God. Church, we, gotta, we want to learn from this example. Don't just come here this morning and hear this and not act upon it. We've got pagans in the world. We've got unbelievers in the world. We've got people all around us and we need to be proclaiming, hey, you know this guy, Jesus Christ? Let me tell you about him. He's God. He's God incarnate. He split time. Everything was measured. Don't buy into the, the BCE and the ADE and the ABCDEFG, whatever they were trying to throw out there. It's BC and AD, right? Before Christ, after death. The world has a way of trying to change things. Look, we know that He made a mark in this world because He's God. He's the Creator. And He stepped into time to redeem that which was lost. And that's us. And we've got a message we've got to share. The people of Thessalonica knew this. So they, they act out their, their, their faith. They, they work it out. Notice what he says here. He says, work of faith, labor of love. I like the word choices because you've got faith which requires work. It's not passive. And now he's got labor of love. You know, love is not love without action. It's easy to say, oh yeah, I love you. I love you, honey. If it's true love, it has action, does it not? It always follows. For God so loved the world that He gave. He sent His Son. There's action to those things. And love always comes in the form of action. And there was here, it's a labor of love. You know, Christ, I'm reminded of the words as I was studying this. In John 14, 15, He said, If you love Me, This is Jesus speaking. Church, hear this. If you love me, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. 1 John 2, 3 through 5. Turn over there. Let's look at that one. 1 John. Everybody turn real quick in your Bible. Hold your spot, though. We're coming back. 1 John 2. Some of your Bibles may be marked. I have MacArthur Study Bible here. It says, the test of knowing Him. The test of knowing Him. Now, check this out. Verse 3 says uh, of chapter 2 in 1 John, Now by this we know that we know Him. By this we know that we know Him. If we keep His commandments. He who says, I know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps his word, whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. You want an example? Now look, this text isn't saying, don't misunderstand what this preacher is saying. I'm not saying you've got to keep the commandments to get to glory. In fact, the commandments show us that we're never going to be able to keep the commandments. 
a simple test. We've all done it before. How many of you have ever told a lie? Don't raise your hand, please. But maybe we should, because if you don't raise your hand, then you can join the club. Everyone has told a lie. If I lie to you, what am I? I'm a liar. What if uh, I ask you this one, and again, don't answer out loud. Have you ever stolen anything? Something that did not belong to you. It was was just, you know, my brother's here, so I'm sure he could give you a list of things I took from his room without asking. In fact, every time I go to his house and see his Hot Wheels car collection, I still think that Corvette's mine. But anyway. (laughs) Look, we've all stolen before. Every one of us are guilty. We've broken that law. Ever looked? With lust? Jesus said to look upon someone, to look to lust after them in your heart is the same as adultery. Because in your heart is where God sees. And in your heart you've committed the act. You ever use God's name in vain? Well, you know, it doesn't have to be necessarily a four-letter swear word. Maybe you just, you know, said, oh my, and, you turn, and, and, and anything in TV, when somebody's surprised, oh my, and they'll say it. They're not saying it in a reverential way. That's in vain. That's using God's name in vain. So based upon our own admission, we're liars, we're thieves, we're adulterers at heart, and we're blasphemers. That's how God sees us, people. We're not perfect. We all fall short. Of the glory of God. We are not God. We are fallen. We are sinners. We are guilty of breaking the law. But see, Christ fulfilled the law. When He came and He hung upon that cross at Calvary, He died for my sins. He died for the fact that I've lied and that I've stolen and that I've lusted and that I've blasphemed. And He's he's done that for you. You and I, if we got what we deserve, the wages of sin is death. That's why we die. That's why we don't just end in the grave. The you that's in this tent goes somewhere. Don't let any humanistic philosophy try and teach you that you go to the grave and you just become worm food. That's a nice thought. But no, you will go and stand before a holy God. And you'll give an account for your life. And the biggest question will be, what did you do with my son Jesus Christ? Did you receive his grace and forgiveness and mercy? Or did you reject the message that's gone to the ends of the earth? That Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. If somebody has stood in that position and they go to their grave with that position, You've made your decision. You see, the gospel that Paul and Silas and Timothy are carrying to the Thessalonians is, look, there's a way. There is truth. And there's eternal life. There's life beyond the grave. But the only way you're going to get there is through the person who provided the way. And that's the person of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about Him. And so... Look, we have faith that has work, and our work is to tell others, and and part of our labor of love is to show action. And we keep those commandments because as we abide in Christ, He is a fulfillment of those commandments. He has fulfilled the law. So even when I'm imperfect in my ways, when I stand before God, I stand robed in the righteousness of Christ. And in Christ, He did fulfill all the commandments. 
So I stand not in my own righteousness, but I stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But we continue in this labor of love. And notice what else? The hope. Uh, Notice, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. You see, hope, patience, in fact, this word is a Greek word, it's elpis, it's called joyful and confident. This is what it means, joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. Let me say that again. You want your patience of hope? It's joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. It also can be translated uh, this, part of the root meaning means that in which one confides. That in which one confides or flees for refuge. Patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1.3 speaks of this hope. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, this is the kind of message that Paul and them would have been sharing with those in Thessalonica. Titus 2.13 says, Looking, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And for those of you who have put your faith and trust in Christ alone as your only means of salvation, you know about this blessed hope. We await the return of the Lord. We look forward. That is the hope that's within us. That in one day, if we go to the grave, the flesh does, that we will be forever present with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If we don't see that day where we go to the grave and step into His presence, we look for the return of Christ to call out His church from this earth. And so Paul is telling these these believers at Thessalonica... He says, look, I'm thankful for you. I pray for you. I remember the work of faith that you had in the midst of that persecution. I remember your labor of love. I remember the patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in in the sight of our Lord and God and Father. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. Now, a lot of folks get hung up on this word here, election. And we're not talking about, you know, Democrats and Republicans. It's not that kind of election. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time going into this because we went through this when we did the study in the book of Ephesians. But let me just say this to give it a balanced perspective because I believe when you study the Scriptures, you will find a balanced perspective. If anybody wants to put under the microscope... Only the concept of election, that God elects those, God chooses those who go to glory. And ignore the free will aspect of man. How God has designed whosoever will let him come. Then they do an injustice to the character of God. Just like if they focus only on that view that, you know, hey, you know, all saved, all is well because Jesus paid it all, then they miss a very other important doctrine that's taught. Election is in Scripture. But I want to note this. If you underline that word election, you better go on over to verse 6 and underline, notice, and you became followers of us and of the Lord having received the word. 
You ever receive something? The idea of receiving something means that you must willfully respond. You must respond to that which is being given to you. If I give you a gift, you receive the gift. But if I just hold this gift in my hand and you never take it, you never receive it. And God has offered salvation to all of mankind. But not everyone will receive it. So he says to these people there, those who had received it, because by the way, many had rejected, right? Many had not received the word of God when they came there. Many had rejected it. And so in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. Uh, notice there's another word there that's very, you, you should probably underline too. It's, it's knowing. Knowing. Hmm. We've got remembering and we've got knowing. Paul's remembering their testimony. He's knowing them. Reminds me of what Jesus said. You will know them by their fruit. He's speaking of false teachers in that context. But we also know that you will know who's a believer by the fruit of their tree, right? And so the testimony of these people in Thessalonica was a strong one. It was a strong representation. Let me read you this comment. This is a good way. MacArthur says it this way in his little study note uh, when it comes to this. Uh, Your election by God. Um, The church is commonly called the elect. In salvation, the initiating will is God's, not man's. Did you hear that? In salvation, the initiating will is God's, not man. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. You couldn't have willed that all day long. You can't will God to step down into time. God did that. He provided the means. You see, religion is man's attempt to try and get to God. That's religion. But relationship is God reaching down to man through His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's what we want, a relationship with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. We don't want religion. So, he says here, notice, uh, uh, well, uh, let me continue reading this, this note. He says, man's will participates in response to God's promptings as Paul makes clear when he says the Thessalonians received the word and they turned to God from idols. These two responses describe faith and repentance, which God repeatedly calls sinners to do throughout Scripture. And I think that's a fair approach. That's a good balanced approach. God initiates through His Son and through the Holy Spirit and man responds by receiving or rejecting. Sovereignty of God and the free will of man. Held in scriptural tension. And trust me, it is and has been for many years. So if you think you've got it figured out, uh, you probably haven't. So we'll just move on, right? Amen. All right. Notice, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. The gospel, not not in word only, not in word only, but in power, in the Holy Spirit. Because by the way, you can go, go, go for Jesus, but if you're going in your own gas, you're going to run out. Right? It's important for you and I to, uh, to... to be yielded to the leading of the Lord. 
to abide in Christ as He abides in us. That's why it's so important for you and I to be in the Word daily and for the Word to be in us daily and for us to not walk in the flesh, but to walk in the Spirit. I appreciate uh, the, the other night during the basketball game, it got a little rough. I had to referee. Bad, bad idea for a preacher to ref. I can just tell you right now. It's just not a, not a good idea. Um, boy, oh boy, I, I could not win for losing. Every call was just, you know, I was being yelled at. And uh, so I told our team when we finally got ready to play, I said, guys, listen, just keep our testimony, all right? We get out here. If the ref makes a bad call, uh, you know, let's just, just go with it. Uh, you know, that's not to say that we, you know, don't sometimes remind them that was a bad call. <laughs> But I'm thankful I got Miss Anita on the sideline. Yeah! Anita, you remind me of my wife Allison because I can't sit with Allison at a ball game. She'll just, I just gotta move down the other end. She gets into it. But I like that. That's what we need our fans for. But I, I, I remember the other night we were playing and one of the other team members kind of got, quite frankly, not very Christ-like. Gave my boy Remick a little bit of a shove. And, uh, Remick responded very well. Uh, I can't quite say I would have responded that way, brother. So, <laughs> And I know Brother uh, Gentry commended him afterwards for that, and should have. That's good. Now, I can't promise you we're going to respond that way this week, so if a riot breaks out in the gym, uh, y'all have permission to come sit down and talk to me about my message. Please, please do. <laughs> but there's an example that's being painted here. And the example is that we don't walk in the flesh. Not if we're going to fulfill the will of God. We've got to walk in the power of the Spirit. We've got to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we're doing that, Paul says here, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. As you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. You want to have assurance of your salvation? You want to be confident that you're a child of the king? Examine yourself. That's what Paul tells us. Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. I mean, really, take a look at your life, an honest look at your life. What's priority in your life? Who's on the throne of your heart? What do you wake up every day? What motivates you? You want to know where that which is important? I mean, the heart speaks volumes. Where your treasures are, that's where your heart is. So if you're treasuring this, or you're treasuring that, or this is what's most important in your life, and it may be a good thing. But Jesus Christ needs to be the king of your life. He needs to be at the the center of your life. He needs to be on the throne of your heart. And so Paul says, look, when we're sharing the gospel, we need to not only do it in word, but it needs to be in the power of the Holy Spirit. There should be fruit coming from our life. There should be evidence on our tree that if I say I'm an orange tree, there ought to be some oranges. If I say I'm a follower of Christ, I ought to be looking like a follower of Christ. Paul says, you know what kind of men we were. You know what kind of men we were. 
Can you say that? And you became followers of us. Whoa, wait a minute. What if, what if I pulled you up front and I said, okay, church, for the next three months, we're going to follow the example of brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. And it's going to be church reality TV. We're going to have cameras mounted all through your house and in your car and wherever you go. <laughs> Probably be a very popular show, would it not? I don't know if you heard this or not, but the guy that does Survivor, what's his name, Burnett, Mark? It's not a Barnett, but uh, the, the one who produces the, all those reality shows, Survivor and others, has supposedly teamed up with none other than Joel Olstein. Sorry, I'm not making... Yes, I am making fun. <laughs> and the scriptures make fun of false teachers too, so I'll, I'm so okay. Um, they're going to follow him. They're going to put cameras in his house and they're going to see the life of a pastor and his wife. Okay. Not the examples I would have picked, <laughs> you know. But anyways, we are called to be an example. Paul says... Come, become followers of us. If you were that example, how strong would our church be? How weak would our church be? You're not an island, folks. You influence people. I used to have this poster uh, in my room uh, as a kid beside my bed. It said, there's a ripple effect in all that we do. What you do touches me, what I do touches you. And it was a picture of the little ripple in the water. And it's a great thought because we do affect the lives of those around us. Let me move on because time's about out. Um, so, the gospel not only in word, power, much assurance, for their sake. For their sake. Why for their sake? Some of you have been walking with the Lord for a long time. There are some in this church that we've not walked near that, that, those many miles on the road, if you know what I'm saying. You need to be pouring your life into those Thessalonican believers, those new believers, those young believers. You need to be that example as Paul was to these people. Paul to Timothy. Senior saints. It's scriptural. Are you investing in a younger man? Are you discipling? Are you spending time in the Word of God? And not only in word, but in action. Ladies, read Titus. Older women, investing in younger women. It's great that we have our, our women's meeting. But quite frankly, a lot of times... That's in the middle of the morning when there's a lot of younger ladies that just can't be here. Can I encourage you? Find opportunities, and I know you do. Invest in these younger women. Because they need you to teach them, teach them these examples of what it means to be a godly woman. And sometimes it's practical stuff. I tell you what, man, I hadn't eaten so good since uh, some of you older ladies taught my wife how to can. Woo! We're eating good in the winter. I like it. But look, the scriptural idea here is that we invest in each other's lives. 
And that's what's going on here. Paul's writing back to these Thessalonican believers. And he says, you know, look, I remember the work. And also how you received the word. They became followers of not only us, but the Lord, most importantly. I am going to do my best as your pastor to be a godly example to you. But if you look at me, you will see imperfection and I will let you down and disappoint you severely. I don't need an amen right there, please. Thank you. But some of I heard that. <laughs> some, some of you have already experienced that. You're looking at the wrong person. God's still working on me too, people. I need my construction sign under construction. But I am going to do my best to be the godly example so that I can say to you, and I will say to you, follow my example. And if you find in me an example that's not worth following, you have a responsibility to sit down with me as a brother or sister in Christ and say, brother, I see this in your life, and I love you, and I just want to talk to you about it. That's great. I invite that. We need that kind of accountability. That's how we grow when we recognize that. But Paul says, let's be an example. Follow us as we follow the Lord. And I am going to try and follow the Lord. What I hope that you do when you do see those good things, Paul says, if you see anything good in me, it's not me, it's Christ. And I reiterate that here this morning. To God be the glory. And as we seek to follow Him and not walk in the flesh, but walk in the Spirit, God does get the glory. So... We uh, followers of us in the, in the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, they've gone through a lot there in that area. And yet, even in the midst of their circumstances, it says here, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believed. For from you, the word of the Lord is sounded forth not only in Macedonia, Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. What's Paul saying? He's telling those Thessalonians, look man, you talk about missions? You've not only impacted your Jerusalem, you've also impacted Samaria. You've gone to the, inner, to, the, to the ends of the earth with this. People know about you. They know that you repented. They know you used to follow these dead idols, these things that were worthless, things that had no point in life, and that you've turned from those things to the living God, the true God. And that has sounded forth throughout the world. I can tell you right now, there is no greater testimony than a transformed life. And even for some of us who've been in the church for a long time and you know Christ and you're a believer in Christ, He's your Savior, quite frankly, He needs to become your Lord. Because that testimony will be even brighter when that lampshade isn't veiled. 
when the light of Christ that dwells within you, when we begin to not walk in the flesh, but walk in the Spirit, it's like pulling off shades that cover that light. When we free ourselves from the sins that so easily beset us, and we begin to conform more and more to the image of Christ, through word and action, people can't help but see that. And that impacts not only LaGrange, but Kinston and Goldsboro to the other ends of the earth. And that's what this is about. And that's the example that these believers were, were putting forth. And Paul's saying, good job, keep it up. Community Baptist Church, good job, keep it up. The examples, you became examples to all these places. Your testimony is known. Notice the key in that last two phrases. You turned. Turn. They turned. That is repentance. If I'm going this way, I'm on my way to hell. I'm living a life for self. I'm pursuing my own pleasures. I'm doing what I think is right in my own sight. I'm worshiping false god of materialism or, or uh, whatever. And I turn and bow to the living and true God. That's repentance. And that's what Paul says happened. You gave up those pursuits and you turned to God from idols to serve the living God. Underline that word, to serve. Again, it reiterates what he's already told them. Faith with works. To serve the living and true God and to wait that patience again. The hope. To wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. You know what I find there in that last passage? You turn to God from idols. And the moment that a person turns to God to receive the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. In that moment, there's a legal term called justification. It means the judge declares you not guilty. And in the moment that you receive Christ as a payment, as a payment for the crime and the the bill that you owe, the wages of sin is death. That's what we owe. We owe the court, if you will, a payment for our crime. And Jesus paid it in His blood at the cross of Calvary. God demonstrated His love toward you. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, He paid your penalty. And God, the Father, says, not guilty. And if you'll turn and you'll put your faith and your trust in Him for the forgiveness of your sin, He will declare you not guilty. But then he says that you will continue. You go, you, you, you serve the living and true God. There's sanctification. I'm walking this walk in my life and I'm pursuing and trying to become more and more conformed to the image of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not fulfilling the lust of the flesh, but walking in the Spirit. That's sanctification. And then he says, wait. Wait. And to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. You see, there's a day of wrath coming upon this earth for those who rejected 
the free gift of salvation. That the Creator God has given and offered to whosoever will, let him come. But 2 Thessalonians, a little later we'll find too in Scripture, man prefers his sin of choice. They, that they will not come to the truth. They did not receive the love of the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And the Bible says they will be damned. They will be condemned. Why? Because, because they did not receive the love of the truth. That's a hard message, I know. But guys, it's the truth. God the Father is not making this difficult. In fact, He's making it easy in a sense for us. We didn't have to go to that cross. We didn't have to suffer upon that. We didn't have to endure the the ridicule and the shame and being spit upon and and, and all the things that Christ endured for, for us. And yet He offers you salvation. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. It's all right there in that. That last portion. Paul's instructions to them was one to say, Hey, I remember your work. And I know how you received the word. And you're an example. And continue to be that example. Let's pray. Father, uh, we're just kind of getting into this study and I thank you for it. I thank you that you've written down for us these truths that we can look into it and know and be encouraged in our faith and build up in our faith. And Lord, when we think about those believers in Thessalonica and how many of them were drug out and, and beaten and, and just this the town itself was turned against them and the persecution that they would endure, and yet, Lord, they did not, they did not grow weary in well-doing. They persevered. They patiently waited. And, and Lord, I know that there are many of us here, and we, we have our own battles. It may not be fear of what somebody else may do to us physically. But Lord, that doesn't change the fact that some of the trials that many people in this room are facing right now are difficult. And so Lord, I pray that they would surrender these things to You. That they would consider the example as recorded in Scripture. Lord, give us the ability, the power to walk in the Spirit of God, not in the flesh. Help us, Lord, to be that example that we could say to others, follow me. Not that we're perfect, but as we follow you, may those things be evident in our life as a means of influence, as a means of encouragement to those that Quite frankly, we're walking alongside of. Lord, I thank you for the many in this room that have turned, that have repented. They've turned from idols. They've turned from uh, the false God of this world to the living God, to the true God, to serve, to wait. Yet, Lord, I know in a room this size with many visitors and folks listening via the radio, there may be someone who's never come to that place of turning from sin to receive the forgiveness that Christ is desperately wanting to provide for them. 
He's already proved that love on the cross at Calvary. And so, Lord, I pray this morning through the Holy Spirit that you might draw a soul to repentance, that they might turn from the path of destruction to your Son, Jesus Christ, for eternal life. Nobody looking around this morning. If you're here, you say, Pastor, pray for me. If I died today, I, I, I'll just be honest with you, I don't know that I have a home in heaven. I'm just not sure. Will you remember me in prayer? Would you just slip your hand up? Nobody looking around. Slip it up and pull it right back down. Pastor, I just don't know if I died today. I don't know if I'd have a home in heaven. Nobody's looking, just me. I, I want to pray for you. Just slip it up, pull it back down. Father, you know every heart of every man and every woman here. And Lord, salvation is of you. Uh, though my prayers, um, I know they're heard because of Jesus Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection on the cross at Calvary. And you've told us we can come and pray and bring our requests. Lord, my prayers won't help these people other than maybe to just give them some encouragement that they need to turn to you. And so, Lord, I pray and ask you now that if there be anyone here that does not know you as their Lord or their Savior, Lord, I pray for them, and I pray that they hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit of God, and that they would surrender their life before it's eternally too late, that they might know the joy, the great joy of salvation. To be forgiven, to be set free, to know one day when we step out of these bodies, to step into your presence, that we'll experience eternal life. A life of far, far above what we could ever think or imagine awaits all those who've turned from their sin and put their trust in Christ alone. Thank you, Lord, for salvation. And thank you for the strength and encouragement to face a new day. I pray you go with us now. Keep us safe till we can return again. Thank you, Lord, for the many visitors today. And I pray a special blessing that you just encourage them. And, Lord, that they might um, consider making Community Baptist their home if they're in need of a, uh, just a good church family where they can be encouraged to walk the walk uh, that you've set forth in your Scriptures. Help us to be that example to them and to others throughout this community and surrounding area. And Lord, we'll give you the praise because you alone are worthy. We ask it in that name above every name. In the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.